a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Some great comments on that question posed in the last segment, specifically regarding one of the speeches uh, which was presented as part of the Republican convention uh, last night. It was uh, towards the end of the evening, and it was a quick three-minute video, and it was a speech delivered by current Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He delivered it from the old city in Jerusalem, and folks are up in arms about it. You know, it's kind of unprecedented for a Secretary of State to deliver remarks like that. Uh, Historically, they have abstained from the political, this breaking from that tradition. But as I said in the last segment, uh, it's a break from tradition. Uh, That doesn't necessarily make what you're doing wrong. Oftentimes, uh, great uh, great innovation and change comes from uh, bucking the trends of the past. Now, is this uh, an appropriate bucking of that trend? Uh, I, I think... I think that there's a stronger argument for why it was okay uh, than why maybe not. And if you'd like to weigh in still, the opportunity remains at my Facebook page right now. And I'd love you to go check that out and like it and share it, of course. Uh, but there's a question posed, the most recent posting there. Uh, very simply, was it appropriate for Mike Pompeo to have delivered uh, those remarks as he did uh, in the, the convention? I want to know what you, what you have to say. Opinion right now on Facebook is pretty split, uh, and there are some good arguments uh, on both sides. And we walked through those in the last segment. So we'll leave it at that uh, with an invitation to go weigh in. Uh, if you would like, on Facebook, Lee Lonsberry, type that in. You'll see the live mic logo, the name of this program, up in the corner. And uh, I'd be very grateful to you for your input. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about vaccines. One of the themes that we have been following over the past number of weeks, months even, here on this program is the progress of a vaccine. We've learned so much about science. We've learned about the various phases that go into the development of a vaccine. We, uh, we're all phase three experts, right? 30,000 some odd uh, volunteers who are uh, subjecting themselves to either the candidate vaccine or a placebo. Uh, and then we track their progress ultimately, hopefully leading towards a uh, vaccine that can be widely distributed and uh, someday you and I being able to look in the rearview mirror at this stinking coronavirus. A vaccine is the kryptonite which will defeat this enemy. That's the hopes. Those are the beliefs. Uh, and I want to know everything that I can about this process as it moves forward. I'm reminded of a conversation uh, we had here on this program just a few weeks ago, that with uh, Rich Lake, an immunization program manager for the Utah Department of Health. While he was on uh, these airwaves, uh, we got into uh, some pretty important questions, some important questions which are right now being asked on the congressional level. Uh, the reason uh, we're addressing this again is that uh, Utah Congressman uh, John Curtis, along with a handful of other representatives, uh, both parties, this is a bipartisan letter, letter 
they have reached out to the office of Mike Pence, and they have asked him uh, a number of questions. The first uh, was which groups will be prioritized to receive a vaccine and why? Well, a similar question uh, was asked on this program recently, again, with the immunization program manager for the Utah Department of Health. Uh, Rich Lakin had this to say when it comes to who decides who gets the first vaccines. What we're doing here in the state of Utah is uh, we've put together a prioritization group, and that includes uh, myself, the vaccine manager that's within the immunization program. Uh, Dr. Dunn is on that. There's a number of doctors from Intermountain Healthcare, University of Utah. There's also those from Unified Command, etc. cetera. Uh, local health officers are also on that group. Um, and what we will do when they say that there is a vaccine and they tell us about the amount that we're going to receive, whatever that may be, um, we will look at CDC guidance and um, we will make recommendations. That group will make a recommendation on that, uh, who would be the priority group to receive the vaccine. I, I, I pushed uh, the gentleman a little bit and I said, uh, can you tell me who would be on the top of that list? Healthcare workers would probably be a priority. There have also been like long-term cares. There have also been looking at uh, different populations that that have been impacted the most um, within the state of Utah. And what we'll do is we will also look at our uh, epidemiology data, and um, we can we can look at that and say, you know, th- this is the population that's been hit the hard, and that might be some minority groups. All right. Now, this final question is the one that uh, left my uh, jaw dropped. I, I was not expecting this answer, and it comes from the timeline, the, the, the context of this. Again, this conversation took place between myself and the immunization program manager for the Utah Department of Health. And I, just in parting, honestly, I threw the question out uh, and expected the answer to come back. Oh, you know what? We're, we're all hoping as soon as possible. Uh, but when I asked uh, what the timeline is for the vaccine, uh, the, the gentleman, uh, Mr. Lakin, he uh, gave this answer, and he based that answer on a conversation that he had just recently had with the CDC. There could be some by the end of October, and then um, there definitely probably will be some um, vaccine at the end of the year and then into uh, the first part of January, and then they'll be really ramping up the vaccine um, probably from January to July, and then probably July of 2021 will probably be when they have um, vaccine enough for everybody, and the, and the vaccination efforts will just kind of continue at that point. So that end of October date, how is that possible? What is the scenario that uh, would lead us here in the state of Utah to have vaccines by that time? And the best uh, investigation I can do, uh, it comes from uh, one of the companies developing a vaccine right now, specifically uh, one of the companies that is involved right now in the phase three testing, uh, a company called AstraZeneca. Uh, they have partnered with the University of Oxford, and they're also on the receiving end of about $1.2 billion of U.S. government money. And what sets, the, what sets them apart? Well, it's the partnership with the University of Oxford. University of Oxford is doing something uh, along the lines of testing that uh, most other organizations are not doing, and it has to do with those challenge tests, intentionally uh, infecting individuals with the coronavirus after administering uh, the candidate vaccine. 
That's a controversial thing, because as this is a novel virus, we don't exactly know how it's going to impact the human body, and so to intentionally uh, inject and expose someone uh, to the, the virus, uh, it brings up questions of uh, informed consent. If we really don't know how the virus will uh, impact a uh, human body, how can we be fully informed and give our consent? That's the argument. Uh, but... Uh, but there are those who have overcome that argument and who have uh, decided that it's in fact uh, a, a fine, a just, and ethical thing. And it may, it may be what brings about the first available doses by October of this year. My fingers are crossed as well as uh, I am looking forward to the answers uh, to the questions posed by John Curtis and others asking, asking Vice President Mike Pence which groups will be uh, prioritized to receive the vaccine? And to what extent is existing immunization infrastructure being utilized to, for distribution plans? And what will the distribution plan, uh, how will it rely on provider offices and pharmacies, drive through clinics? Uh, the congressman is trying to get a picture of how we are going to distribute uh, this vaccine once it becomes available, because that is the next step. That is the giant leap towards returning to some semblance of normalcy. And if, and if the past six, seven months have taught me anything, it's that I'm running out of hair to pull out of my head here. And I, uh, anytime I hear talk of a vaccine, anyone who is doing uh, forward progress on a vaccine has my attention, and I hope it has yours as well. Good, great, wonderful news on the vaccine front. Uh, let's do everything we can uh, to hope and pray it into existence. Uh, so that's that. Taking a break right now. When we return, I want to talk to you uh, about the, the CDC. Oddly, in the last few days, the CDC has put forth a number of new guidances. Some are comical, some are concerning. We'll get into both of them next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.